This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Will Bushman, our Director of Student Ministries. Here we are again. That's right. We're continuing in the life of Jacob. And I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm off my pain medication today, so I might be more lucid. <laughs> Good Un- news for all of us. Uncomfortably so. <laughs> uh, just coming back from physical therapy and just to give health updates. It seems to be a theme of this show. <laughs> Someone's always breaking down. Uh, but I have herniated disc in my neck at C7, so I've got a herniated disc that's pinching down on both nerves and losing the ability in my right arm just a little bit, but it's very painful uh, through the shoulder down the tricep into the arm and fingers. And so yesterday I've met with a neurosurgeon who's given some courses of treatment that might help avoid surgery, but he says the disc is degenerated bad enough to where it looks like surgery is probable. So we're walking through all that fun stuff right now, but today is probably one of the best days that I have felt in the last month. So we're going without, without any pain stuff today. Good. So, ouch. Yeah, I'm just happy you're sitting today. <laughs> yeah, I've been standing with my computer and microphone on boxes and everything else because it hurts too much to sit down. But today is, I think, my favorite chapter in the life of Jacob. Yeah, and the rest of Jacob's chapters aren't great, you know, so this one at least, we're yeah. getting somewhere. So today, it's, we're talking about the story where Jacob is finally coming home and he's got to kind of pay the piper come to terms with the fact that when he left his homeland, you remember after he deceived his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing, Esau comes back in, figures out that he's been deceived, he's been cheated out of getting this blessing that Isaac had wanted to give him, and he's like, ooh, when my dad dies, I am going to kill Jacob. And Rebecca hears of this scheme, Jacob's mother, and it's like, you need to get out of town, he is going to kill you. And so Jacob ran away, and he meets Rachel, and he meets Leah at, at Haran. He gets into all the mess with Laban. And, and so even though those chapters have flown by, that's been 20 years. So Jacob is now coming home after 20 years. He has not seen Esau since then. But the last thing he knows about his brother is that he wanted to kill him. And now he's just left that land, and you remember... Last week, we talked about all the speckled and spotted and striped, and it was, it was good little, stuff. <laughs> it was kind of rough. So, but at the end of that chapter, Laban has said, like, we're putting this pillar here, these bunch of stones, and you have to stay on that, your side of the stones. Do not come on my side anymore. They, they leave on very bad terms. And so now Jacob can't go backward, and now he's about to find out that he's penned in, and Esau is going to be coming for him. So he is left with nowhere to go but to face up to his brother that 20 years ago he schemed out of an inheritance. So starting in verse 1, it says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And like, what do you do with that? What does that mean? I don't know. Genesis does this a lot. (laughs) Just casually puts in some astounding 
fact. And you're like, yeah, but then it just like kind of runs by it. Like, yeah. I, I, don't, don't you want to like, what are the angels doing? Are they just hanging out? Is this their location where they're meeting? Do you always see the angels or is this a one-time thing? Yeah. Like, what's going on? But the, I, I mean, the idea I think is he's been out of the promised land and you remember God kind of sent him into the promised land at the place where Jacob saw the ladder. And that's where the angels were coming, ascending, and descending from heaven to earth. And it was God's way of telling Jacob, I am involved in the affairs of man. You might not be able to always see me and what I'm doing, but I'm very active in what's going on in the earth. So trust me that I'm going to carry out my promises and that if you could actually see all the time the spiritual realities that are around you, you would be very comforted knowing that I've got you surrounded by angels and nothing is going to happen, good or bad, without it being allowed by my hand, ultimately for my glory and your good. And so Jacob's coming back into the land now, and all of a sudden he's seeing angels again. Yeah, I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> I, I would love to have, like, because he doesn't seem all that interested in it. <laughs> as interested as I would be, right? Yeah. You know, the first time he's, he's bowing down to the ground, he's anointing this rock, he's blown away by this. And he's like, oh, this is the very gate of God. We're going to call this place Bethel. And this is like, okay, the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he named, he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And that's really kind of interesting because Mahanaim, let me restate that, Mahanaim means two camps. And that is going to be really kind of fascinating. And Jacob, I think, unknowingly is self-diagnosing his problem because he has this, I think the angels are a welcome party. Yeah. You've come back home. Like, here we are, the angel of God, ready to meet him. He's coming back into the land. And Jacob says, you know, he's impressed. This is God's camp. But rather than saying, oh, God's camp. I would love to be a part of this camp. Like, let me in. Let me enjoy this. Let me draw near to you. I want to be involved in what you're doing. He actually forms another camp, and he calls the place two camps, meaning, okay, that's that's God's camp over there. I'm going to establish my own over here, two camps. And so I think it's a self-diagnosis of, you know, we, we do this with ourselves. Like, am I really in? Am I all in in the faith? Am I Am I living every day in the camp of God, or am I in Camp Sam? And at the beginning of this chapter, Jacob has self-diagnosed, saying, there's God's camp over there, and there's my camp over here. I'm going to call this place two camps. Yeah, so as a Christian, we're not supposed to have divided lives. Yeah. You know, we're not just a Christian on Sunday. We're not just a Christian when we're out doing ministry stuff. Like, it should define our entire life. Yeah, it's interesting, this fearful moment in his life that he sees this and he doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. Like, he can see the angels, in, which is the wild thing, but, like, he spiritually is blind to them. Like, yeah, no, like, I'm in a really fearful place. I have a guy literally behind me that wants me dead, so I can't go back there. I'm going to a brother who is the sh- brother who hunts, and, like, he yeah. sounds like the guy you don't want to make mad. And so for him to threaten to kill you is kind of a scary task. And here he is with angels that, at best, God sent to comfort him and to mm-hmm. guide him and to maybe just be a symbol to him. Like, Hey, I'm still here. He's just like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. You would think like if you're, cause you're, you've had the guy who wants to kill you that God said, Hey, you better not threaten Jacob. Yeah. So God's stuck up for you back there and Laban didn't kill him because God stuck up for him back there. 
And now he's going toward Esau, like you said, who's, you know, this hunter, you know, who's really good at what he does. And when you saw angels, God's meeting you, you would think that like the smart person would be like, oh, thank thank the Lord. You'd want to draw near to be a part of what they're doing. But instead, he he kind of keeps his own camp. And I think we do that. Like, honestly, yeah. we do that all the time where we're facing the crisis and we're like, man, I, you know, God, I hope you show up, but I'm, you do it all in your own energy. You're, you're still in, you know, Sam has his own camp rather than saying, man, I just need, I need to stop and I need to be a part of your camp. <laughs> God, yeah. I need, I need to draw near to you and I need to recognize that you're with me and that alone. If I recognize that I've got an army of angels around me and a God who promises me good. And I really believe that. And I let that define me rather than trying to have my own agenda, my own camp, you know, I can, I can face just about any circumstance if I believe that by faith and have peace. Mm. Yeah. Cause then we'll see, it just goes back to a scheming ways after this. Like mm-hmm. he states his problem and then he just runs headlong back into it mm-hmm. until he realizes I'm about to be destroyed. Yeah. And then he throws up the hail Mary prayer. Like God, can you get me out of this? And it's like, dude, we are so like Jacob. Yeah. It's, it is sad how much we are like Jacob. So Jacob's realizing, so he's already thinking through, I've got, you know, I've got trouble coming my way, you know? And so what it says, verse three, it says, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Sair. Sair is in the North part of Israel. You have the sea of Galilee. And from the sea of Galilee, the Jordan river runs down to the dead sea. And all of that is on the Eastern border of the promised land. Really? Now, when you get to the south and to the east of the Dead Sea, on the other side of the Dead Sea, this is where the Edomites settle or Esau's descendants. And so Seir is down there. It's outside of the promised land. But Jacob is sending messengers to the land of Seir, to the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. Of course, Esau's going to know Laban because that's his mother's brother. And he says, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So what Jacob wants Esau to know is, I'm coming back, and I'm loaded. (laughs) And why would Esau want to know that? To buy mouth? Well, okay, so he might be coming with a bribe to say, hey, I've got lots of money. I can pass by free. If you're really angry at me, like I'll pay you off. It could be that, but it also could be as simple as saying, I don't, I don't need to cheat anyone anymore. So like, I'm really wealthy. I'm not coming to, to mess you up. I'm not or, here to cheat, cheat you yeah. out of birthright again. Yeah, because that's exactly what Jacob does <laughs> yeah. everywhere he goes. So he's saying like, hey, I've, I'm, I'm good now. Like I'm, I'm not scheming anymore. I've got plenty of wealth. And he's not making an offer yet. He will, but not yet. He's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm wealthy now. Like, I don't need to take your inheritance or anything that you've got going on with dad. I don't know what's going on with you guys, but I want you to know, like, I'm, I'm self-sustained. I'm good right now. And so in verse 6, it says, The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. Rut-row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is big rut-row. He's coming to meet you, and here comes the bigger rut-row. And there are 400 men with him. Now, if you're Jacob, yeah, what are you thinking? 
that he's going to fulfill that promise to kill me. Yeah. Like, you can't imagine that he's coming with 400 men to come on a welcome party. They're just his 400 closest friends. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to have heavily a great armed. feast because we love Jacob so much. He's he's the, By the way, the reason why Esau is now living outside of the promised land is because when when Jacob got the blessing, you remember Isaac says to Edom, well, the inheritance is going to Jacob. You need to go find a new home. So Esau, in some sense, has been cast out. He's had to start his own nation, his own territory. His life got upended. You know, he's he's no longer with mom and dad. He's he's kind of starting from scratch. So you got to imagine Esau wanting to kill Jacob before he gets tossed out of the home, you know, and made to go fend for himself in some sense. I'm assuming Isaac maybe gave him some shekels because he didn't give any to Jacob. But he's coming for Esau with 400 men. This is this is no good. Yeah, he has some chips on his shoulder, even the whole marriage thing. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Jacob got warned that, like, go back to our homeland and marry and find a bride, whereas Esau, they're kind of just like, oh, yeah. oh sorry, yeah. I didn't tell you that. You, you can marry the Canaanites. We're not, we're not going to tell you. Yeah, so there's a couple things that he's probably adding up in his head, being like, okay, it's reckoning day. Mm-hmm. But think about if you're Esau, just to sympathize with Esau, who's, you know, hates God, doesn't can't stand the promise, doesn't want the burden of being in this family. On In one day, his mother schemed to take away his inheritance, so you've lost your mom. Your brother is the one who did it to you, so you've lost your brother. And when you come home and you plead with your father, Lord, just, just nullify that blessing that you gave to Jacob and really give it to me, and your dad says no, and oh, by the way, now that the land is going to Jacob, you need to go find a new home. He's lost his dad, his mom, his brother, his land, his inheritance, the flocks, all the comfort, and all of this because of Jacob. So it would be hard to let go of that grudge. And so verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid, (laughs) I bet, and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps. There it is again. That's going to become a theme is camps. Where does he position people? And he's thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that's left will escape. So he's absolutely convinced Esau's coming for blood. So, you know, we're going to split everybody up. And if Esau goes and attacks that group, at least the other group can run away and hope to survive. Can you imagine doing that with your families? Uh, yeah, you definitely would know where you stand with that at that point. That's just I'm trying to think. Okay, Caleb and Jacob, you go over there. Leah and Nathan, you go over there. You know when Uncle Dave, you know, comes raging. <laughs> if if he takes out those two, you t- that's just it's crazy. But yeah. that's that's totally what Jacob's expecting here. Yeah, if you see your siblings go down, run. Yeah, it's like the the joke. You don't have to be you don't have to a better the fighter. You, you just have to be faster than the other one. So verse nine, it says, and Jacob said, now all of a sudden, remember, he's like, oh, yeah, there's the angels. Oh, two camps. And he doesn't want much to do with God. Yeah, you get that impression. Yeah, he's scheming in his own might right now. That's right. But now he sees Esau and there's 400 men and there's no way out of this. This is like he's he's not trained militarily. He's a schemer. But he doesn't have an army. He doesn't have strong guys to fight. And so now it's time to run to God, which can you relate to him here? Yeah. When the crisis hits and you've tried everything else, now you'll try God. 
So Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. So what? it's like he's saying, God, this is your fault. I wouldn't be here if you didn't come to me at Laban's house and tell me to go home. You're the one who told me to return to your country and that you would do good to me. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan. I was a pauper. I had no money, no flocks, no nothing. And now I have become these two camps. Look at all the wealth. Look at the family, the wives and the concubines and the 11 sons. And I got a daughter and servants and tons of flocks. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said... I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so it's pretty bold, but this is something you actually find in the Bible quite a bit from the heroes of the faith where they feel like things are falling apart and they call God out on his promise to his people. Like you find Moses does that. Multiple people through the scriptures are like, are you really going to let this happen to your people when you promised that you would dot, dot, dot. And it's interesting because like if, if your prayer life was like that, where you went to the Lord and you said, God, you promised this, almost like you're calling God out on his faithfulness. I mean, because he's like, oh my gosh, you've been so faithful. You've been so faithful. You've been so faithful, but you better not let me down here because you promised. How do you feel about that kind of prayer? I don't feel good about it at first, but it makes the more you think about it, the more probably that prayer should move that way. Like he's being honest. He's like, God, I've remembered your promises and that promise is not going to come true if Esau comes and kills all of my children. Mm -hmm. So for you to make good on your promises includes what you're going to do to me right now. That's right. He goes back and he's calling out. He's saying, you said that you were going to make my offspring like the sand of the sea, and now I've got someone who is threatening their lives. I'm calling you out. You need to protect us. Like, you've got to do something. And it's almost like the Psalms. Like, when you read the Psalms, there are so many Psalms that start with the psalmist saying, I've got a big problem. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's coming at me from all angles. And then so often the psalmist will say, but I remember what you did, right? Like, here Jacob is saying the amount of faithfulness, the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you've shown to me, like I'm not worthy of it. He goes back and remembers everything God has done. You know, all the faithfulness of, of tricking Laban out of his flocks and keeping him, you know, giving him his wives and kids and the favor that he has shown. And he's like, you've been faithful to me, but I, I need to lean on that faithfulness again. So I'm calling out your promises. And I, God doesn't strike him down here. He doesn't say, how dare you talk to me like that? Yeah. He honors it, just like he honors it in the Psalms. And I think there's a part in our prayer life where respectfully, you know, where you go and say, man, you have been so good to me and I'm so undeserving, but you promised. Yeah. And I'm calling you out, God. Like, you promised. Yeah, it's a beautifully bold, self-deprecating prayer in Mm -hmm. this moment. Yeah. It's bold, but humble. Yeah. And in Jacob's case, I mean, there's a, there's obviously it's self-serving and desperate and, you know, he's not entitled to it because he's been such a scoundrel, but who is like, am I entitled to his favor or grace or rescue? Of course not. 
And yet he promises it. So it's, I'm not, I'm not going to him and pleading with him to do something based on how good I am. I'm going to him and pleading with him to do something based on the promises that he has made to his people. Yeah. And it's just like we've talked about Jacob the whole time. Yeah. He's scheming, but man, does he actually know and trust the promise in some crazy unfathomable way that doesn't match up with the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it hasn't submitted to holiness yet, but he loves this promise and won't let it go. Verse 13, it says, so he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female. Now listen to this list because just what he had, it's like his pocket money. This, it feels like that's <laughs> what it's saying. So you want to know how outrageously Jacob is wealthy and how much he's taken from Laban, by the way. Listen to the list of just, this is a present for Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. And he handed these all over to his servants. And when you add all of them up, this totals more than 550 animals. This is like, so these are huge. This is a huge flock that's going to be divided up and waves that are coming to Esau as he's coming, I think, to put a hurting on Jacob. So it says, he handed these over to his servants, every drove by itself, a drove is a bunch of them, and he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and the next drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you, and he asks you, to whom do you belong and where are you going and for who are these ahead of you, you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. Now, what do you hear there? What what jumps out of it? They belong to your servant Jacob. He's already trying to position himself. Yeah, he's saying you're my superior. Like that's that doesn't jive. Remember, remember what God's promise to Rebecca is? The older shall serve the younger. And here you have Jacob who's coming in and he's tremendously wealthy. He's got all the titles to rule now. He's coming back in. He's got the promise. He's got all of that stuff. Now he has this abundance of wealth, and yet he's referring to himself as your servant, Jacob. They belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord, Esau. And moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought, I might appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. It's a pretty good plan. Yeah. This is bribe. So it's like, and he's breaking it down because he recognizes, like, if you, if you just did it all at once, it's like you shot your bullet, Right. But he wants to to hit Esau's heart and have okay. him go. Okay, wow, that was a that was a massively impressive, super generous gift. Even one wave of this stuff, then the next wave and the next wave, and he's making Esau realize, hey, you know, he cheated me out of the inheritance and the birthright, but he has just given me what perhaps would have been more than what the inheritance would have been anyway. So it's like. Mm. It's almost like Jacob, maybe not with gospel motivations here, (laughs) 
but just justice, quite frankly, because he knows what Laban tried to do to him. Laban tried to steal out of him all this labor and everything else. And now he's coming to Esau, and God, you know, is just to Jacob by not letting Laban, you know, steal from him. And now he's coming to Esau, and he's like, in reality, my deception cost him a lot. And so this is my payment to him. And I don't, you, it never tells you where Jacob's heart is. Like as he's saying, maybe I'll appease him. So you know he doesn't want Esau to kill him. That's part of the reason why he's sending this stuff. But I think part of it is also like this legitimately is owed to Esau. You know, God has made Jacob to be the, the recipient of the blessing. That's God's choice. But in that culture, the firstborn always received the double inheritance, and Esau has been stripped of that. And Jacob comes to make things right. Again, smart plan. Gives him more time. Yeah, I'm making you whole. So verse 22, it says, The same night he arose and took his two wives. Now this is where you get just a beautiful picture of who Jacob really is. Class class act. I swear Genesis is not where you go. It's not a parenting class? Not parenting, and it's not marriage. Like, they're so bad. So it says, that same night he arose, and he took his two wives and his two female servants, so his wives and his concubines, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok, which is a river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was alone. So what's good? Uh, hold on. I want you to imagine this. Esau and 400 men are coming are from that coming direction. From that direction. And you're sending your wives and your children and your servants ahead of you. And you stay behind on the far side of the stream. What, what is he doing? <laughs> He's using human shields, it looks like. It, it's exactly right. He's using his family, his <laughs> wives, as human shields. So it's like, you know how Abraham has that moment where he says, hey, you pretend to be my sister because otherwise they might kill me. Yeah, and what do you Jacob's find This is Jacob's moment. This is Jacob's moment. It's like, you know what? I'm going, I'm going to let you potentially suffer because otherwise I might die. It's the same thing that you found with Abraham. It's the same thing that you found with Isaac. It's the same thing that you find with Jacob here. And what is it doing? Again, is it's making you long like, man, what? I wish we could find a bridegroom willing to die for his bride because these guys are so selfish that they're they're refusing to sacrifice or to be in a position of sacrificing. And so human shields go across the stream. I think it's funny how we were joking about how would you divide your children? He's not. He's like the two camps are me alone and everyone else. <laughs> like really that's how true. bad it is. That's true. So now as they've they've gone south, now it's that really is. That's it. Yeah, he's so, like, guys, I've come up with the two camps. <laughs> All of you go across this stream. If you see my brother Esau wave or something, yeah. tell and me. If, let and me if know. I see you get slaughtered, I'm I'll out. run. <laughs> Golly. Come on, Jacob. Yeah, this is, this is rough. So it says, and this is where this comes out of nowhere. It's one of the most important stories in all of Scripture. And for whatever reason, when the Spirit inspired this chapter, it doesn't give you a lot of context for how this comes about. It's just like, bam, it's happening. (laughs) So it says, verse 24, Jacob was left alone. Well, that's how he'd schemed it. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. 
So that's that's just weird. <laughs> just a random dude. It's just Jacob sitting there alone, and all of a sudden a guy comes guy and sneaks up him. on you. <laughs> yeah. Now all of a sudden you're wrestling. Have you ever wrestled? No. Have you ever been? Yeah, like, yeah. But I mean, just like goofing around yeah, yeah, wrestling yeah, yeah. with friends or something. Got like forty seconds in me, you know. Yeah. Right. And after forty seconds, even you're done. Yeah, yeah. Even professional wrestlers, it's like what are the rounds? Like two or three minutes. Like in the Olympics, I think they go for two or three minutes at a time and then they have to take a break. And I think there's, you know, just a couple of rounds. Imagine wrestling with a man all night long until the break of day, like how exhausted you'd be. I'd, I'd be out. Like, I think I'd quit after like the first 10 minutes. And again, there's no discussion that this is kind of friendly, but not friendly. Like, are you trying to kill me? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, you, there's. it doesn't give us any context here. It's just Jacob is wrestling with a man and neither one of them will relent. So it doesn't say that they stop at the break of day. So they're still going like, and that I I'm exhausted just thinking about it. I couldn't wrestle. I can't do wrestling or water polo because when people grab me and try to push me in places, like I get mad, I like it would have come to blows. The wrestling match would have been over and I'd be punching and it wouldn't, it wouldn't go well. I can't handle that. I get claustrophobic. Yeah. How long would it take you if a stranger snuck up on you and wrestled to be like, no, I'm punching this dude in the face. <laughs> like really? I'm ending. This. I'd be calling my servants back across the Javik. Like this is just so out of nowhere and bizarre. And Jacob is getting a sense of who he's wrestling. Because remember, when he came back into the land, he's seen that there's an angelic camp. He knows that that the Lord is in this land. And so he's he's wrestling and wrestling and wrestling until the break of day and when the break of day comes. So what, what are you thinking there? Like what happens at the break of day? Hope. Hope. It's always the moment of hope. It's, it's the resurrection early on the morning of the third day. It's when light triumphs over darkness. And so this is leading you into seeing that this is an early morning thing. Hope is dawning. Darkness is being defeated. It says, when the man saw that he did not prevail over Jacob. And this is where the story is just so wild. You have to pause. When the man saw that he did not prevail over Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Hear the contradiction in that, right? Like you've yeah. been wrestling all night and you can't overcome Jacob. So you touch his hip socket and it blows out. If you've got a touch that can blow out a hip, dude, this wrestling match should not have taken all night. <laughs> this should have been, well, let me touch this and this and this and this. And he, Jacob would have been totally dismantled by the end of this, just a pile of goo and cartilage. But this is leading you to see something. It's not saying that, the wrestler, this wrestler who we haven't identified yet, it's not saying he couldn't defeat Jacob. It's that he wouldn't hmm. defeat Jacob, that he was waiting for Jacob. He was never going to quit, but Jacob wouldn't quit. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal, like when you stop and really start thinking about that. Like I remember when I was young and I would wrestle with my dad on Saturday mornings in the bed, <laughs> and you know, like, and you'd get in wrestling matches and, I mean, the reality is my dad's a big guy. You know, he's six foot two and outweighed me by a lot when I was four years old. He could have destroyed me and mangled me and left me bloody. Like, he could have won. <laughs> yeah, quickly, easily. But as a father, 
who loves his kids. Like I would struggle like, and he would match my strength. You know, he, he wasn't trying to hurt me, but as a father, he would occasionally let me win. Hmm. And in a sense, that's kind of what you see here. You've, you've got this character who is so powerful that the mere touch can blow out your socket. And yet he wrestled with Jacob all night without destroying him. Yeah. And this hip's not getting better in this life. No. Like it's that blown out. It's like, Permanent injury. He'll have a limp for the rest of his life, we're told. And so it says, then this this figure says, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob says, now this is after he's blown the hip out. He's suffering pain. This is bad. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that right there is the heart of Jacob. It's what makes God loved Jacob despite all of his mess because he's he's got all the right instincts that he wants the blessing of God and he's just got all the wrong instincts into how to go about getting the blessing. Because Jacob wants to go to God like a lot of us do, and we want to say, you know what, I've I've got to I gotta find a way to scheme it out of your hands. I gotta prove my strength. I've got to grab hold of you and I'm going to wrestle it out of you, and we wear ourselves out, and we end up being exhausted and wounded and hips blown out and everything else, when maybe we should have asked for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, it, it makes you wonder, like, how, what does God, because we're going to find out this, this person wrestling Jacob is God, we'll just blow that ending for you. But what, is, what do you think God is teaching Jacob here? I have no idea. Really? Well, I think it's, I think I'm, Actually, I'm just more thinking about God in this scenario that he knew Jacob needed this. Mm-hmm. In a yeah. wild way, God is meeting Jacob exactly where he's at, and he's proving his, God's proving his superiority in such kind of a generous and gracious way. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Like, it's so fascinating that God would do this and would humbly not just crush him but would do this for him, Mm -hmm. which I think is just crazy to think about. There is so much to this, like the more you stop and you start peeling away and asking questions of this passage, the more beautiful I think it becomes with every question. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, here you have Jacob, who his whole life has been constantly scheming. Like, you got to imagine how exhausting that, that is. You're always trying to prove yourself. You're always trying to position yourself. You're always up to something. You finally come back into the land. God has said, hey, I'm going to bless you there. It's going to be for your good. You get there, and it feels like certain death is coming on you, right? It's, it's, it is coming on you. And God, you know, after Jacob has been like, oh, two camps, you know, there's the angels. I'm going to set my camp over here. I'm not totally in that camp. And here you have God who's followed him. And hunted him down and starts this wrestling match. And God is going to let him and wear down all of his strength. Like, because here's the other part of that. If you're going to be overtaken by Esau and 400 men, you're going to need some strength to fight them, right? And a hip. And a hip. <laughs> and now God has not only blown his hip out, which, by the way, is if you're, if you're in wrestling— the most important part of your body is coming from you pivoting your legs and everything else. So all of the strength, all of, all of the, the muster that he could have is now blown. His hips are gone. That's the most important part of your body for fighting or anything, to be able to dig in and push in 
Like that's gone. You have no strength. And by the way, because you've been wrestling all night, your arms are jello. Everything about you is totally exhausted. You have nothing left to give and Esau is still coming. And that's why Jacob has now come to the end of himself. That's the important part of this passage. That's what God wants us to see is Jacob, his whole life has been, he's, he's got a scheme. He's got found a way to sneak into something on his own or to scheme something on his own. And he thinks it's about what he brings to the table. And now God is bringing him to the point where Jacob has absolutely nothing left to give. His family's gone across the river. Esau's coming. He has no defense. He has no hope, no scheme that can, that can rescue him out of this. And God comes and says, what little bit of strength and health you do have left I'm taking it until you realize I am your strength. And it's at that point where Jacob is recognizing, like, if you don't bless me, if I don't have your blessing, if I don't have your promise, I am toast, absolute toast. And so in a weird way, God, God wanted to bring Jacob to the end of himself. Do you think Jacob knew that that was God at this point? I'm guessing so. Yeah. Why, like the blessing, you don't ask yeah, random was... people to bless you. Um, and I'm guessing like the moment he touched him and his hip blew out. That would be a good <laughs> indicator, something supernatural. Yeah, this is something going on. You're you're either a very powerful angel or you're the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Um, and I think Jacob realizes that. And later on, he very, he says, you know, I've seen God. So he comes to realize this was, this was definitely God. But, you know, when I think about this, this makes me appreciate God so much because, you know, the, the hip thing, you're always like, you know, why, why would he leave him with a blown out hip? Like it's one thing to wrestle him until he has no strength, but to leave him with that permanent injury, there's, there's something about each and every one of our stories that, you know, we try to do it on our own. And we find that our way has messed up our lives usually, you know, and, and we find ourselves exhausted and wondering how in the world we're going to get out of this. And a lot of us come to the Lord in that moment. And it's usually like wrestling and we're trying everything else. And when nothing else has worked, we finally turn to the Lord. And a lot of times we come out of those situations with something that has, because of our running from the Lord, sometimes we've had some kind of an injury to our life. You know, we've, we've hurt a relationship or we've hurt our health or we've, we've damaged some part of our life to where, you know, we're walking with a limp. And after a while, that limp almost becomes kind of a, a, a part of your testimony. It, it becomes a trophy to that memory where God rescued you out of where you'd come from. And so I think that limp for Jacob probably with time became a sweet memory of what God had done and would do for Jacob. And, you know, I, I gave a men's breakfast not long ago where I was talking about God in his sovereign mercy and grace smashes your idols because he loves you too much to share you with things that are going to destroy you and enslave you. And so he'll take things that are lesser than himself and he'll smash them in order to bring you to him because he loves you that much. And I think here Jacob is getting his idol smashed. He doesn't know where to go. And so it's, I'm not going to let go of you. You're the last thing I have. <laughs> I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Yeah. Cause on this side of heaven, I half the battle is almost reminding ourselves of who God is and who we are, you know, mm -hmm. 
And so here it's a real, almost a gift for Jacob to every day of his life, every time that twinge of pain happens, he remembers of who God is and who he is. And yeah. Like just readily puts him back in that. Yeah. The same God that had the power that a mere touch could blow the hip out, you know, who gave me that at a moment of kindness to remind me of who he is and to call my attention onto who he is, has all that same power that's utterly devoted to my good. He's with me. And so in one sense, the limp is a recognition of his power and the fact that he won't tolerate the nonsense. But it's a reminder that that power is for you. You know, those wounds are reminders of his goodness. And so then the the wrestler said, what is your name? Now, the last time that somebody, you know, Jacob was seeking a blessing and they, somebody asked his name. What was it? Well, it was what set all this in motion. It's the reason why Esau wants to kill Jacob is because when his father Isaac said, who are you? He lied Saw. about his identity. He tried to earn a blessing through deceit. And now Jacob is saying, bless me. And God is now standing in the place of Isaac saying, now, now tell me who you really are. I want to know who you are. And he's calling Jacob to the table. Are you going to lie? Are you going to try to pretend to be something you're not? Or are you going to own who you are? Are you Jacob? Are you deceiver? Are you schemer? Are you supplanter? Are you heel grabber? And for the first time, Jacob in this desperation says, I'm Jacob. Mm. I'm, I'm not pretending anymore. Wow. I, I am all these things. I am that broken man I am all those things. And then I love God's response here. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. And that is such a beautiful thing. It's like, remember, you know, you're wrestling on the bed with your dad and he lets you win. This is God who is looking at Jacob. And the moment that Jacob recognizes that he's a mess, God says, no, you're not. I'm changing your identity. You've wrestled with me, and you've won. I am making you a victor in the courts of heaven. I'm changing your identity. Because you own who you are, I'm changing who you are. This, and I think this is the, the real conversion moment, in some sense, of Jacob. Yeah. you got to own who you are. And there's a real freedom that when you go to God and you say, here I am, this is the mess I am, that his heart is not to go, oh, you're Jacob, you deceiving, you know, slime ball. No, it's like, oh, you've admitted it. Like, that's the first step here. <laughs> you know, this is good. You're owning who you are. You're owning all your mess. Now in my sight, your entire identity has changed. You have prevailed. That's mm -hmm. the heart of God, but you have to come to him with that sense of humility that recognizes that you have no other hope but him. Then he looks at you and says, nope. You've wrestled with me, and you have prevailed. Wow, just the straight freedom that Jacob must feel. Mm -hmm. You know, for the first time, just being honest with yourself and honest with God in the same moment has to be like a real like, whew. Yeah. He, the first time that he's found rest is when he allows himself to be defeated by God. Mm -hmm. He surrenders. Okay, you got me. I'm, I'm Jacob. And God goes, okay, you're blessed. Yeah. <sighs> you mean... I don't have to do anything. Like, I just have to acknowledge who I am and you bless me. Yep, that's the gospel. You put your trust in me and you just acknowledge that you're not enough. Yep, that's all you have to do. And you are declared a victor by God. It's really wonderful. Yeah, it's interesting that the striving in the actual wrestling match didn't get him the blessing. It was yeah. just the admitting. 
Yeah, God didn't say, oh, wow, you know, all night, you know, real wow, strong. you're real strong. All right, I'm going to bless you. You're on my team. Wow, you're, you proved yourself. It was yourself. when he was just wore out and broken, yeah. laying there. Finally, he's like, I'm Jacob. You're like, oh, good. But the important thing was, it's not that Jacob was winning the wrestling match. It's not that he proved his strength. It's that he would not let go. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of the hardship, one of the beautiful things is that he won't let go. He will not let go. And that is also... For us, a picture of beautiful faith, that when you can't make sense of things, when everything is coming against you and all the circumstances are bad and you're losing the wrestling match with God and you're wondering why he's not blessing you, you don't let go until he gives you the blessing. And and I love that. That's, that's just the heart of Jacob. And so Jacob said, okay, tell me your name. You know, I told you my name, you tell me your name. But God said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And then Jacob realizes, I don't, I don't need you to answer that question. He called the name of the place Peniel, which and it means the face of God. And he said, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And so Jacob walks away victorious and blessed and with a limp. And I'm kind of grateful that the Bible's honest enough to keep the limp. Yeah. Like, don't you feel like there's some some areas where God has blessed you and yet you walked away from it with a limp? Yeah. I think we all have limps. Mm-hmm. You know, his redemption moment left him with a limp and that's good. Yeah. And it kept him humble, which is good. It kept him leaning upon the Lord. Yeah, it's very much like Paul's thorn in the flesh that he talks about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's his response? God said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is perfect in your weakness. And that's what Jacob needed to learn. God's power would be perfect in his weakness. And so now we're in verse 33, and you get to figure out what's going to happen with Esau. How is God Chapter going? 33. What did I say? Verse 33. Yeah, chapter 33. Thank you. <laughs> Now you get to figure out, okay, how is God going to scorch Esau? Because Esau is coming to murder Jacob, and so God's definitely going to rile up and defend him and put the kibosh on him. Yeah, yeah, and you're kind of like at this point, obviously not reading ahead, but you're like, Jacob's not in a position to fight. Like, yeah, this no. is not looking good. Yeah, he's ragdoll. Like, point. he had zero chance to begin with, <laughs> and now it's just... But look at what the freedom does. Remember, God has said to him, I see who you are, I know who you are, you're safe with me because I already know who you are. Yeah. But when you admit it, I'm changing your identity and I'm giving you victory. And what's Jacob's response? Now all of a sudden he's not hiding. Look at how look at how the freedom of the gospel conversion moment impacts him. It says Jacob lifted his eyes and looked and behold Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And so what does he do? He divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants and he put the servants with their children in front then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So he's got his favorites among the family. But then listen to this. He himself went on before them bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. What is going on here? You have Jacob who has always, always taken advantage of others to benefit himself that has now put his family behind him, and he is now putting himself out there as the human shield. So you have Jacob who goes from being this very, very selfish person 
to now Jacob is transformed in some sense in this moment to where he's saying, I'm willing to die for my bride. Mm. Brides, I guess. <laughs> you know, so he almost gets it. <laughs> but it's a Christ-like moment. And he goes down, and, and here's the thing, you know, because the prophecy is, you know, the older brother is going to serve the younger and bow down to the younger. But here's Jacob who's going and he's referring to himself as his brother's servant and he's bowing down to Esau. And what is that? Like, I, I think, of course, could be wrong here, that the people of God, when they really understand that they have the inheritance of heaven, have no problem using the authority and the exaltation that God has given us and then serving those that would typically be considered beneath us. And so Jacob, in his securities now, he's perfectly willing to bow down and serve and to be generous toward others and to give away his property. Um, You see a change in him. And so now, and when, by the way, when you bow down seven times, they're cultural things, that that means you're treating somebody like royalty. You repeatedly, before you get to them, bowing down seven times, it's almost like liturgical, you know, you're, you're exalted as a king almost, which would have taken Esau off guard. And it says, but Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. A lot of kissing and crying in this book. <laughs> yeah, Jacob's always involved in kissing and grabbing and weeping, and he did that with Rachel. But but you get the sense that inside of them, these are not callous characters. They're, they're all this pent-up tension and aggression and everything else. And when you realize that there's forgiveness and healing and, and a reconciliation, they all of the dams burst and the tears flow like, you get the sense these are very, really emotional people. They want peace, and they've made messes of their lives. So both of them are weeping and kissing, and you're like, whoa, this is not what I expected from Esau <laughs> at all. And when Esau lifted up his eyes, he saw the women and the children, and he said, who are these with you? And Jacob says, oh, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. He's keeping that humility. Then the servants drew near, and they and their children bowed down. And Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met, the people who had come bringing all those gifts? And Jacob said, well, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob says, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, Please accept this present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you've accepted me. Please accept this blessing that's brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And thus he urged him, and he took it. And so Jacob, even when he's given the chance to to hang on to all this wealth, is like, no, one, God has blessed me to be a blessing, but you're owed this. Like, I took a lot from you. But you see, Jacob is doing right. He still doesn't trust Esau. We'll see that in a minute. Yet he's doing the right thing. He's humbling himself before his brother, whom he harmed. And Esau, again, is one of these characters where when you see this part of the story, you're like, man, like, God God hates this guy? He's doing the right thing again. You know, he's the one that gets messed over all the time. And yet he hates God. And so it's it's telling you, you've got the scoundrel Jacob who loves God and Esau who does the right thing a lot and hates God. Um, 
it's a quandary, but it shows you the importance of grabbing hold of the Lord and not letting go, grabbing hold of the promise. Esau said, let us journey on our way. I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and you know, you know, I got all these nursing flocks and herds. They're, they're a care to me. If they're driven too hard for one day, all the flocks will die. So, you know, let my Lord go on ahead of his servant. I'll, I'll lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and, you know, at the pace of the children. And I'll come to my Lord and say here. And so what do you see there? What is, what is Esau trying to get Jacob to do? Just go with him. Yeah, but what is he abandoning? I mean, he's bringing all of his stuff. He's got the flocks. He's got the children. So where does Esau want him to go? Oh, back to his hometown. Yeah, abandon the promise. Hmm. Uh, so here you go again. Here's Esau. He knows what God wants for this. He knows that the promise of God is to be in the land, to raise up a nation through whom a descendant is going to come to crush the head of the serpent and overthrow death. And you've got Esau who's like, come with me. you like, come back to my hometown and eat him. Don't go back to the land. Come, come to me and say here. And so Esau said, well, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But he said, oh, what need is there? You know, let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned on that day to Sayer, and Jacob's lying to him, like, yeah, we'll be behind you. We're, we're right here. We'll be right behind you. Right behind you. <laughs> yeah. See you tomorrow. Yeah, and he's like, we're, we're going back to the promised land. So Esau goes back to Sayer, and he's going to find out that Jacob lied to him. Classic. And be like, shocker. <laughs> And Jacob journeys to Sukkoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. And therefore, the name of that place is called Sukkoth, which means booths. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which, by the way, is not where God called him. God called him to come back to the place where he saw the ladder of the angels ascending and descending. He wanted him to go back to Bethel. But for some reason, Jacob comes to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. Now, what's the problem there? God has already warned them, don't take wives from the Canaanites because they're really wicked. They're awful, awful people. And Jacob, rather than going to Bethel, where he knows you know, that's the gate of heaven, the gate of God, that's where God wants me to be, all of a sudden Jacob's like, yeah, let's go to Shechem where all the Canaanites are, which sets you up for the next chapter, dun, which dun, is dun. really disturbing their interaction with the people of Shechem and the Canaanites. So anyway... He stops in Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on the way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tent, and he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. And so that brings us to the end of chapter 33. And here's, here's the good news, bad news part of this is you have this really, like, this scoundrel who's done all these bad things, who comes back home, he has this encounter with God, wrestles with God, admits who he is, gets a name change, identity change, it's the gospel moment, Jacob's, you know, receives the promise and all that stuff. This is his conversion moment, and right after that, he goes to Shechem. And it's like you're, you're, you're going right back to where, like, all the bad stuff is going to be, like, what are you doing? And it's another another nod that, yeah, God redeems messes, but it's not like your conversion moment. You're safe in the Lord because you're good enough afterward. Jacob's going to stumble right after his conversion, and God doesn't wipe his hands of Jacob. He is still going to be the God of Jacob, and Jacob is going to continue to fall into sin. And in the next chapter, I'd say more than any other chapter in all of Scripture, 
scripture about Jacob is going to be the chapter where it's hard to like him. Next chapter is going to be tough. Yeah, it is. So next chapter, we get into the rape of Jacob's daughter, the rape of Dinah, the defiling of Dinah. And you get to see how Jacob responds to that. And it is disappointing, very disappointing. And yet, even through that, God's faithfulness does not pull away from him. It's pretty stunning how radical his faithfulness is. You know, when we think of how bad, because we're uncomfortable with this whole idea of Jacob being the favored one who's in the covenant and Esau that's out. And it reminds me of a a passage in chapter John, (laughs) the gospel of John. Chapter John. (laughs) Chapter 6, verses 28-29, where they come to Jesus and they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? And so they're saying, like, what, what are the good deeds that God is requiring for salvation? And listen to Jesus' response. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so what he's saying is the work of God that gets you the, the favor of God, the inheritance, heaven, is to believe in the one that he has sent. And when you when you put it in those terms, that it's that work that earns you the favor of God, then when you look at it, you know, Jacob treasured the covenantal blessings of God. Esau hated him. Jacob led his wives and children to worship the Lord, even though they did it imperfectly in all kinds of mess. They called upon the name of the Lord. They prayed. They they were Esau's marrying Canaanite women. He has no interest in bringing his kids up in the Lord at all. He's worshiping all these pagan gods. Jacob's descendants are going to be set apart through the covenant, and Esau's descendants are going to to embrace the most despicable gods, and they're going to war against the people of God. And so when it comes to believing the promise, and you look at who did greater works for that, it is so clearly Jacob, and so obviously not Esau, And that is God once again driving into you exactly what Jesus says. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to grab hold of the promise. That's the work that brings the favor of God. And that's hard for us to get our minds around because we want to say, but Esau's a good guy. He didn't do the work of God. And the work of God is to believe and to trust. Yeah, it's not even that we just need to look at it through like, just look differently through our lenses. Just we have to do a whole perspective switch. Like we're looking just through the wrong pair of glasses. We just need a whole new set. That's right. Yeah, and it's going before him and saying, you know, my stuff isn't going to work anymore. Mm. I'm I'm Jacob. <laughs> I'm a mess, and that and I and I need you. And that's when God says, Oh, you get it. You finally get it. It's not about what you've done. It's about what I'm doing. You're now victorious, and I'm changing your identity. Boom. That's the gospel, and that's a good word. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Join us next week on the Out of Water podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.